Good morning. Oh, I'll tell you what, we need to appreciate this valley's weather. My wife and I and the kids were up in the mountains this weekend just to get away for a couple days and go on some hikes. And I don't know how mountain folk do it. How do mountain people do that? It's just, oof, it was beautiful. Beautiful change of pace for a couple days, but I love, I love our valley, right? So, well, we are um, not in Win the War in Our Mind anymore, that series. But remember the last two weeks, we've been talking specifically about some common lies that people sometimes believe and how a lot, believing a lie can negatively impact your life. And so we have to confront it with the truth of God's word as believers. Today, we're gonna focus on some truths about who God is, right? Who is God? How do we describe who our God is? What a task to try and describe an infinite being. And, and we, are, we are finite. We're trying to understand that. It's hard to describe some things here on earth. I saw an article on November 7th uh, online that asked the simple question of how would it feel to surf the world's biggest wave? There's a place in uh, Portugal where these waves can reach up to 100 feet high. This company that was trying to explain it said, we believe any subject in science, no matter how complex, can be explained with clarity and vitality. But I'm like, how are they going to clearly explain to me something like this? I've been to the beach. I've seen a wave but I've never surfed. And what about people that live in the middle of the country? How could they possibly understand? Well, in Portugal, where this happened, there was a lady named Maya Gabera that um, broke the world record for the biggest wave ever surfed by a woman. It was 73 and a half feet was this wave. But she didn't just break that record. She surfed the biggest wave of the entire 2019, 2020 surf season, male or female. So it was just really impressive. But here's how they tried to describe surfing something so big. It was a Leviathan arch, was one terminology they tried to use. They said it poetically like this. You might wonder if it isn't the tongue of God come to swallow the earth. You're like, oh, all right. That paints a picture, terrible picture there. The amount of speed you get going down those waves is incredible. When the lip of the wave breaks and it hits the bottom, it's like an explosion. But even when trying to explain things clearly, that's their mission statement for this magazine, they use phrases like this. There's a noise that's indescribable. <laughs> they use phrases like that throughout the whole article while they're trying to clearly describe, but they basically say it's just, it's just too hard to explain. Something so big, so different. Even if you're a surfer, you might not know what it's like to surf a wave like that. And so something here on earth is indescribable. How much more so the God of the universe how can we describe him? What are his attributes? How can we talk about that in a way that we can understand? Well, if you have a Bible, you can open to Psalm 139, where we're going to see God love us so much that he would describe himself to us. And we learned four attributes of God this morning, four characteristics about who he is. And we know it goes much beyond just reading about who he is. God loves us so much that he sent his son to be the express image of God. So we could see how would God respond in these different human settings. And we learned that in Psalm 139. Last week, we ended by talking about the lie, no one understands me. And so I love that we're starting this week talking about God knows everything. Psalm 139, verses one through six. The scriptures say, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. This is King David talking. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. 
You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God knows everything. The fancy word for that is that God is omniscient, right? A word that just means God knows everything. He's all-knowing in all categories. And so just from these six verses, we see that God knows my character, right? He knows our character. He knows who we are in the deepest part, even when it's not observable for other people. God knows our, our desires. He knows when we struggle. He knows our pain. He knows what we want to be and who he's making us to be. He knows our character. Verse one says, you have searched me and you know me. Even when we feel like nobody else in the world can understand us and our situation, God is saying, I know who you are. I know who you are. And I love you, right? I know you at the core of who I've made you to be. I know you where you're broken, and I still love you. That's an amazing thing. He knows our character. Other people may judge us from the outside, but God knows what's going on in our hearts. Uh, we're trying to fight this battle as parents in our house right now where one of the kids started it, and now they're all picking up on it. But when one of the kids is angry that one of their siblings did something to them, they immediately say, you're mean. And we're like, hey, no, stop. it feels like a character assassination. You're like, no, you're not the judge. You don't get to term determine if, if they're mean or not, right? What they did might have been mean. It might have been unkind. You may be confused about what happened. It may be an overreaction, but stop acting like you are the judge saying this person should be defined by the label of mean. And so we're working on that. Not sure where it started. I don't know if it'll end, but we're begging the Lord that we can have wisdom on that. God knows my character and God knows our conduct. He knows everything that we do. The scriptures say in verse two to three, he knows when we sit, when we rise, our going out, our lying down, all of our ways. He, he's watching and it can be uncomfortable knowing that someone is watching you, right? Uh, it, it affects us. I know that if I'm driving towards a traffic light and I see a giant pole with a camera pointed at me, I feel very uncomfortable, even though obviously I'm a patient, calm, perfect driver. I, I don't feel comfortable with that. It just makes you do crazy things. All of a sudden you're like, I'm gonna slam on the brakes. And it's just a disaster. I was so happy when Marietta took out those cameras on Marietta Hot Springs Road so I could drive effectively and efficiently <laughs> and safely, right? I don't wanna be watched like that. Just last week, I was in Home Depot. I was just trying to buy like a little $3 thing. And there's a L, an LED camera, no, an LCD screen pointed right at me that had a picture of me. I'm buying this thing and it's staring at me. And then on the screen, it's written and it speaks to me. You are being recorded. You are being recorded. And I'm like, well, I'm just trying to buy something here. But you start feeling guilty. You're like, I don't think I put anything in my pockets, right? But it's just a horrible feeling because we doubt the good intentions of those that are watching. Right, but, but God sees. I think, I think of a child. A child feels completely different than an adult when someone is watching them. A child can actually feel comfort when their parents are watching them at a certain age, right? I don't have teenagers yet, so maybe they feel like adults do, but, but I know Titus is at a little age where as a six-year-old, it's hit or miss. Sometimes he runs up the stairs at night, to go brush his teeth. Other times he stops on the stairs and looks up and like shrinks back and cowers in fear. He goes, dad. And I go, what? He goes, and he points at just a bedroom door that is open that is dark on the inside. The hallway's all lit up, but he's like, there's darkness, you know? And he's 
He's terrified. And what I have to tell him is, all right, I'll stand here and watch you as you pass the goblin who's about to grab you. If he grabs you, I'll grab some tools. I'll make a plan and I'll come up there in a few minutes and get you. You know, I'll get you in a few minutes. Listen, if I'm watching him, he feels comfort where he goes up and closes his eyes and shuts the doors and then goes and brushes his teeth. Something about the darkness, we can all relate to that. There's comfort. That's, that's the attitude as children of God that we have to have. God is watching over us, not to judge us and condemn us, although he sees those things. He's watching over us with love to help us and to support us. And so he sees your hard work, your patience, all the effort that you make. He sees those things. He also sees and hears our conversations. Every word that we say, verse four, before a word is on my tongue, he knows it completely. He knows it all together. So that means that God knows our thoughts before we even speak the words out. That is at the same time comforting and convicting. It's comforting because God knows my thoughts. And so things I wouldn't even say out loud, God knows those things about me. God knows my prayers because before I even verbalize it, even when I don't know how to pray right, the Holy Spirit will express how I'm feeling to the Lord and, and intercede for me. And so God knows my thoughts. He knows my desires, where I want to go in life, what I'm struggling with. He knows all those things that we don't even know how to put into words. That's comforting. But it's convicting because of, well, I don't know, how we talk to people, right? And how we think sometimes. And it's okay that it's convicting. A righteous and, and holy judge, hearing every word we say, it should affect how we speak sometimes. I remember when I was in high school, the only time and location that I would curse was on the basketball court. I was fine if I stubbed my toe, if somebody punched me, if something happened and got in a car accident, I was okay. But on the basketball court, I just swore like a sailor because I was so intense and needed to win so bad. So before every game, I wouldn't pray, Lord, help us to win, because that's a ridiculous prayer to pray, you know, when you're in school sports. But, and I wouldn't even pray, Lord, help my ankles not to break. My only prayer that I prayed before every high school game was, Lord, help me not to curse in front of my grandma. I was like, my grandma is so sweet. You know, she's just such a sweet lady. And I know she's praying for me all the time and she loves the Lord. And, and so I was like, I didn't pray, Lord, help me not to curse. I just didn't want her to hear it. Lord, block her ears. Lord, stop her from hearing. Help her to be distracted. Every time I curse, help her drop her purse or something. And, and it would just mortify me that this sweet saint would hear her grandson that she's praying for, that she's there rooting for, you know, curse or take the Lord's name in vain. I didn't, I didn't want that to happen. So it's convicting knowing that God is listening to all of our conversations. We would all, I was about to say some of us, but we would all do well to remember sometimes, how dare we talk to other people the way we do at different difficult times in our lives. It's comforting, but it's also convicting. And also God knows our chaos, the craziness of our lives. Verse five, it says, you hem me in behind and before. The idea is that God is watching your back. He's looking out for you. He's supporting you. He knows the dangers that are around you. He knows the situation you just came out of and the situation you're going into. And God is going to support you and help you. The idea that God is omniscient, that he knows everything was too much for King David's mind to understand. And so he says, it's too lofty for me to attain. How can I even comprehend that God knows everything? Better yet, God knows me and he still loves me. 
And as we continue into the next set of verses here, we realize that God is everywhere. Verse seven, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night all around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. God is everywhere. The word for this is omnipresent. He's just always everywhere all the time. So God is with me no matter the distance I go, no matter the distance I travel, God is there in all the situations of life that I find myself in. Verse eight says, as high as the heavens, he's there, as, as low as the depths, he's there. God is up, down, he's everywhere in between. We are never apart from God. Our mind can forget that, right? We can forget that God is with us and that can bring a lot of fear and sadness, but God is with us all the time. No distance can separate me from the love of God. So because of that, if that's true, verse 10 says that we will have direction, right? It says, you will guide me. You're going to guide me. Sometimes our, our prayers, uh, we, we pray them as if God is only in a certain location. We're, we're like, Lord, should I work here or should I work there? Lord, should I live in this city or that city? Should I stay in California? Should I go to that state? And our prayer for direction is so we're nervous. We make the wrong choice and we will be in the abyss apart from God and, and his love forever. And that's how we pray. I heard one person pray like this. Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. If I stay, it will be double. So come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go now, Lord? Maybe that was the clash, a 1982 hit. I don't know. Why would I know great, amazing 1980s songs? But it, it, this is how we pray. Like, oh Lord, if I stay, it'll be trouble. If I go, it'll be double. If I, like, I just need to know. Just tell me where I should be. The truth is, God's eyes are looking to and fro on the earth, looking for faithfulness. And there are not enough people in every city, in every neighborhood, in every state, in every country that are saying, Lord, I wanna love you with all of my heart and I wanna love my neighbor as myself and be on mission for you. There's not enough of that. So wherever you end up, if your heart is to love God and love people around you, God is gonna be pleased and he's going to use you in that location, in that situation. And so we'll have direction from God. Verse 10 also says that we're gonna have protection because God is everywhere. It says, your right hand will hold me fast. And so it can be a fearful thing. I know as a parent to think, I think that my kids are safe because they're, they're with me, but to let them go, right? To let them go to school and to different places and to recognize I'm not there, but God is, is such a comfort. And God is with me no matter the darkness that I see, that I feel, that I experience. Verse 11, if I say darkness will hide me, Right? We feel like, yes, this, this situation is too much and now my view of God is clouded and I can't feel his presence. Where is God in the darkness? When we feel like it's too much sadness, too much evil, too much distance from the Lord is how we feel. The truth is he hasn't abandoned us. He's still there, right? We might not be able to see him. He sees us clearly in that moment. And so we have to decide, are we going to go with our feelings 
Or are we going to go with the truth of God's word? Our feelings say God's abandoned me or this bad thing wouldn't have happened to me. God must be displeased with me because I don't feel his presence, right? And our feelings tell us that, but feelings come and go. The word of the Lord endures forever. And so the truth is, verse 12 says, what is dark to me is, is as light to you, that nothing clouds the vision of God because he is everywhere able to see through anything. And so God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But God is also able to do anything that he wants. He's omnipotent. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God, God is our creator. He can do anything. And think about it, the, the Trinity existed far before the universe, right? And so God had perfect fellowship in the Trinity without us, but he created, why? Because he loves us. He created the universe and he created each person so that we could know the love of God. God used his power to form our bodies. Verse 13, he created my inmost being. He knit me together. He created a skillful way as only God could, fearfully made, wonderfully made. He saw us even in the womb. David's mind is blown, zero technology, right? This is a few thousand years ago. And he's just seeing that a woman's stomach is getting larger. He's smart enough not to say that she's pregnant, right? He waits until after birth to say anything about that. He's a smart man, right? And he's like, oh, look, a baby was in there. And he's just amazed that, at, that was a really uncomfortable thing to say. If you had laughed, I would have felt a lot better after that, but maybe it was inappropriate and I shouldn't say it third service. I didn't say it last service, but thanks for not helping me at all. <laughs> Listen, all he sees is like, oh my goodness, a human was, that was dumb to say too. That's not how you describe pregnancy or birth at all. <laughs> pregnancy is much more difficult and painful and a man should be very sensitive to that. Oh my goodness. Is there another verse we can read? Listen, David's mind is blown and yet he does not have any technology. Imagine if David had an ultrasound. I, I remember with our kids, uh, when Abigail was, was in the womb, my aunt was the ultrasound technician, so we were spoiled. Like every two to three weeks, we got an updated ultrasound and we got to see her grow in the womb. It was amazing. I remember as a, as a new dad, I had never held a baby before. I convinced one other person, I don't know why they said yes, but I said, can I hold your newborn? so I can learn what it's like so that if I happen to drop your child, at least it's not my child. And he's like, yeah, sure. And the mom was like, what? And so I sat down with like pillows and blankets everywhere. And that's how I held Abigail in the beginning. I was just always low to the ground, so nervous. I don't know, I don't know how people are football holding their kids. I'm like, they're all gonna die. Uh, it was terrifying to me. I knew nothing. And so I signed up for babycenter.com and every week they would email me saying, you know, this is what's going on with your kid. The heart started beating this week. Here's the, and, and what you really learn when you have a baby is fruit, right? They're like, your child is the size of a kumquat. You're like, well, what, what's that? You constantly go to the store and you're holding the fruit up to your wife's belly. And you're like, oh, interesting. This is what a child is like. And listen, it was amazing. When we got to California, we would pay for extra 3D ultrasounds beyond what the medical industry would give us, right? Because we wanted to see our kid in the womb. What an amazing 
thing, but it's also why we felt so much pain during a miscarriage because, you know, after, after seeing a child's heartbeat and then they go to be with the Lord, it hurt. I'm thankful that my, my children, my two children are, are in heaven. I'm so thankful for that. But the connection of hearing a child's heartbeat, it's just unbelievable. God is amazing with how he made the human body, how, how everything just works, how if you get a cut, it'll stop bleeding eventually. It's amazing how God made everything. Even when I wasn't much, David is thinking, I was still something to God. I still mattered to God. So he used his power to create humans. He also uses his power to pre-plan our lives. Verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, right? God knows the length of our life and the details of our life, whether it's a short or a long life and whether the details are, are hard or amazing, God knows. We still have free choice to make our decisions. I mean, that's how we all feel, right? Today we can choose to do righteousness or wickedness. We make our own choices, but God being outside of time can look at it and he knows the beginning from the end. And yet we, we can trust his sovereignty that he's in charge because he is good. He has purposes and plans for our lives. And so while we experience tragedy and shocking situations, none of it is... None of it is a tragedy to God. None of it is, well, it can break the Lord's heart, but none of it is a surprise to the Lord. I just, just last service, I heard that there was an ambulance here that took a dear friend that I know to the hospital that had just gotten out of the hospital. So I'm gonna go visit her after the service. And it's like, man, what a, what a surprise. Yes, it's a surprise to us. God knew what was going to happen and God knows how he's going to sustain and help us in all these situations. He pre-plans our life. Also, God uses his power, his mind to think about us. You're like, I'm not that interesting. Well, God loves you. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them? If we were to even try and comprehend it, it would be like the sand on the seashore is how much the Lord thinks about it as the figurative expression to help us try and understand the infinite thought of God towards each of us. God loves us. He cares for us. And so God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. He can do anything he wants to do. And it sure seems like he uses his power to bless humans. And finally, in verse 19, we see that God will deal with everyone. If only you, God, David's writing this beautiful, sweet poem, and then he ruins it all, right? He's like, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. You're like, David, my children are reading this, right? But like, listen to what's going on in his heart here. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. You're like, David, I was reading this to my kids right before bedtime, come on. But then he says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me or a wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the least common of the fancy words, but God is omnicompetent, right? God has authority and ability to manage and handle everyone and everything perfectly. I mean, he does it perfectly. So God is gonna deal with all of our situations and with all the people that we encounter. 
And so David here can't help but say, a part of my life isn't just the beauty of God and, and how great this, this earth is and my experiences. A part of my life is also that I have enemies and they're your enemies. He was the king of Israel. People were coming against him and speaking poorly of him. Sometimes he deserved it, like when he sinned with Bathsheba. There are times when he deserved it, but, but at other times they were really just coming against God. And so David here is recognizing there are enemies of God and he's saying, I need you to deal with it. I got to stop thinking about it. I got to stop worrying about it. He says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. He's leaving vengeance with the Lord. And elsewhere in the scriptures, God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so David is honoring that. These people were evil in their action. They were bloodthirsty. In their words, it says they speak of you with evil. With their motives, they hate God. Their plans, they're in rebellion against God. And David is saying, I need you to handle it, God. I can't deal with this kind of, of evil. I can't always respond when people are slandering my name and gossiping about you. I, I need to just commit that to you. If, there, if there's something in my life that needs to change, fine, but Lord, would you deal with my enemies? What an important concept if we wanna have any peace in this life, that as people wrong us, whether it's quickly in a moment of road rage they have, or whether it's over time as they try and attack our character, but it really is undeserved, we need to let the Lord defend us and handle things. God will be just with the wicked. But also, how does God deal with the humble? Notice that David, at the same moment he's saying, God, judge the wicked. What does he say? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive or wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is smart enough to realize, yes, it's true. I have enemies. God has enemies. And our culture doesn't default to following God, but in being in rebellion against God. That's true. And he's saying, God, please deal with that. But he's smart enough to realize the problem isn't always just outside. He points his finger right back at himself and says, Lord, search my heart. Where have I been wicked? Where have I offended you? Where have I transgressed your word? He's humble enough to realize that he's a part of the problem. One of the biggest dangers that we can have in our walk with the Lord is to always be pointing our fingers at others and saying, they're the problem. That's the issue. They're the evil ones. You may be right. Their ways may default to rebellion against God, and God will be just to judge that kind of wickedness. But should we also not point the finger back at ourselves and say, I'm wicked at times? I sin at times. I'm offensive to God at times. And David is humble to say, Lord, judge me, but lead me in the way everlasting. Show me where I should change if I deserve any of this slander and this gossip. Pointing the finger back at himself. That's important for us because all of us before our saving relationship with Jesus were enemies of God. As cute as we thought we were, here's the truth. Colossians 1, once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. All people apart from Jesus will only experience the justice of God judging their wickedness. And it's not just the really bad ones. 
All humans are in rebellion against God and we need the covering of the blood of Jesus if we're gonna be okay. So God can still be God and be just. Why? Because he judges evil. And when it comes to followers of his son, Jesus, he looks at us, he still judges our evil by judging his own son on the cross. And if we say, yep, that's my substitute, Lord. The only reason I'm right with you is because of what Jesus did on the cross. So please forgive me. Now he can extend his mercy and his love, which are also his attributes. He's just, but he's merciful. He's just to judge, but he is loving. I want to be in the camp of David where I can say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and humbly say, lead me in the way everlasting. That takes humility to say, I'm part of the problem. Lord, forgive me and lead me. And so it's amazing that God knows everything and yet he still loves us. God is everywhere, but he wants to draw us closer and closer into a relationship with him. God can do anything and he chose to die for our sins because of his love for us. And God will deal with everyone, but he does not desire to deal harshly with anyone. He has made a way through his son, Jesus, taking our punishment so we don't have to. If that's news to you, but, but you feel in your heart and know in your mind that you believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins and he was raised again three days later, and you want to follow a God that loves you that much, knowing that you'll have to repent of your sins. Followers of Jesus, I think we can all agree, none of us are perfect, right? All of us have seasons where it seems like we're in more rebellion than we are you know, in following the Lord. But if our heart is set on God and we say, I wanna follow him, I'm only saved because of him, I love him, he will do a work in our hearts and it starts with a saving work in his hearts where he comes and dwells inside of us and his spirit resides in us. And if, if that's a decision that you have not made yet, and you want to make that decision to follow after Jesus, then I wanna give you that opportunity. But it takes humility to say, lead me in the way everlasting. If everyone could just close their eyes for a moment, if you would like to follow Jesus and make that decision, just, just raise your hand so I could lead you in a simple prayer. I'd love to, I see great, awesome. In the balcony, if anyone wants to raise their hand, I see some hands in the balcony, awesome. I see hands in the front, all over, people are putting their hands up first service, no one did. And I, I was glad for moments like that where there was no emotion, no manipulation. And I almost didn't even give this opportunity today because I thought, well, maybe it's just not today, but the Lord is doing a work in at least a dozen people's hearts right now. And if that's you, you can pray a prayer like this. As long as you're sincere, the Lord hears you. He actually knows what you're going to say before you even say it. You could say, Father in heaven, Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross and rose again three days later. I repent of my sins and want to follow after him. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, then you can have a confidence that you have a relationship with God and you are covered because of the work of Jesus in your life. But we wanna support you in that, that's a big deal. And so please come forward and tell our prayer team that you made that decision so we can support you. And so God bless you, we wanna celebrate with you that God, that God is doing a work in your hearts. Please come forward if you need prayer and we'll see you back next week, God bless.